0: Thanks for being here. Um, I I just want to say this this is kind of our heart all the time, but like I just want to remind you, whether it's your first time here or whether you've been coming to our church for a long time, like I just hope that we we hope as a church that you enjoy your experience here. We hope that you get to know people and build relationships with with others that are you know headed the same direction spiritually that you want to head. And and more than anything else, like our goal as a church is for every single one of us, myself included for us to grow in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so the fact that you chose to be here this morning to kind of hopefully pursue that goal, if you're just here just to get someone off your back because they've been inviting you, like that's cool too, okay, don't don't leave, that's awesome. But uh, that's just kind of our goal in our heart as a church, and so I'm so glad that we get to be together this morning. Um, I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online as well. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for following along with our church, no matter where you're from. In fact, I just want to let you guys know, I heard that there was a woman here a couple weeks ago from Florida. She was up here visiting, I don't know, maybe a family member or something, but she told us that she watches our church online every single week, like follows us way down in Florida. So, uh, hey, if that's you, uh, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you being along for the ride and the rest of you that are watching online, we'd love to know who you are and where you're watching from and all that sort of stuff, too, because it's just cool for the rest of us here in person to see the different ways in which God is working and all that sort of stuff. So, so anyway, that's that. Um, when I was—this is another guitar story, so just uh, brace yourselves, okay? Um, when I was in seventh grade, it was either Christmas or my birthday. I don't remember which one. They're about a week and a half apart. But my parents—my mom, actually—bought me— this guitar as a gift. And uh, this is actually it. This is this is number one. This hangs in my living room apart from all my other guitars. And I have held on to this guitar for all of these years. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, 20, 25 years, something like that. Um, I've held on to this guitar not because it's a nice guitar, okay? It's really kind of a piece of crap. Um, it doesn't play very good. It doesn't I didn't know that was such a big deal. Like, it's, it's not. It's like a starter guitar. So um, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't play good. Like, nothing about this guitar is really that nice. However, I have kept this guitar because of its, its significance, what it means to me, and what this guitar represents in my life, because my decision to learn to play guitar has made such a big difference for me, for who I am, for the direction I've gone, all that sort of stuff. Before learning how to play guitar, um, I didn't really have any passions or or hobbies or anything like that. I mean, I tried several sports in school—basketball, soccer, track and field. Turns out I'm not good at any of those, so I kind of, you know, put that to the side. I was a smart kid, but not like genius level smart. So, like, what are you going to do with that except just be annoying to your classmates? So that wasn't there horrible at art, can't draw a straight line to save my life. Um, for some reason, my parents thought big gold-rimmed glasses would look good on a 10-year-old, so looks weren't in the cards either, okay? So I didn't have, I didn't have a whole lot going for me. But when I got this guitar, and when I started to learn how to play it, things really started to change. I started to make new friends and meet new kids who were kind of into this, the same sort of thing, um, making a decision to learn how to play this guitar opened me up to a whole new world of music and bands that I'd never heard of because up until this point, I grew up in a house where my parents listened to Abba and Yanni. It's almost child abuse what I went through, okay? So like just absolute trash music, but I started learning about classic rock and Pink Floyd and like all sorts of cool stuff. Um, when my family moved from Ohio to Minnesota before my sophomore year of high school, it was, it was learning to play this guitar that, that you know kind of gave me something to do when I was lonely and didn't have any friends that summer. Um, it, was, it was because of guitar that I got involved in church and youth group and made friends. I, I proposed to my wife now of 16 years by playing her a song guitar. Like, It is no understatement, at least for me, to say, that, that the decision to learn to play guitar has, has drastically altered the direction of my life. Even parts of who I am today really can be attributed and traced back to this gift and the decision I made to learn how to play. And I think all of us probably have similar sorts of decisions that we've made. Now, maybe not with guitar, but decisions, if you think back on your life, turning points in your life, things that you, you maybe a, a decision to go back to college, a decision to get married, a decision to start your own business, a decision to maybe unfortunately get a divorce, a decision to have kids, a decision to forgive somebody, that, that when you look at the way your life was heading, this one decision made such a huge impact. It altered the course of your life. It changed you. are where you are today. Relationships, opportunities, whatever it might be, I think we can probably all identify some of those crucial key decisions that have made an impact in our lives. But I want you to think about what's the most important decision you've ever made. Just for a moment, try and rattle it in your mind. Think about what, if you had to nail down what is the single most important decision you've ever made, what would it be? You see, we're in this series called Questions. From Jesus, And we're, we're taking a look at different questions that Jesus asked either his followers or the crowds or whoever. And, and even though these questions are almost 2,000 years old, they are still just as applicable and relevant for us today. They are still questions that, that even as human beings we have to answer. And the question that we're going to look at today, I believe our answer to this question will be the single most important decision that any of us ever make. Whether you're a Christian or not, more important than your decision to get married, your retirement portfolio, any of that sort of stuff, our answer to Jesus' question is the most important decision we will ever make in our lives. Now, to kind of set up the question and what's going on, this is about two and a half years into Jesus' ministry, about six months before he's going to be arrested and, and tortured and crucified. And Jesus is is pretty well known in his area. Okay, he's he's done a lot of teaching, he's got you know his crowd of of disciples following him, he's done a lot of miracles, the religious leaders already hate him, they're trying to figure out a way to get rid of him. Like Jesus is pretty well known in his region. Most of the people we can probably assume have at least heard of Jesus, with a lot of them even having personal kind of face-to-face. Interactions with him, and and this is gonna kind of be where we pick up the story. It's right here. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples or his followers, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now this is not the question for today, this is just where we're picking up the story. Who do people say that I am? Is basically what he asks. And and he talks to his disciples, he says, Listen, it, you know what, I've been around a lot, I've done a lot of teaching. What are you hearing? You know, when I when I when I'm teaching on a mountainside and you're mingling, what are what are people saying? After I heal somebody and I start walking, do you hear any like any murmurs? What what's kind of the word out about me? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Basically, there's a lot of different thoughts out there, Jesus. Okay, you're, pe- people know you're a good guy. People have seen you do some incredible things. Um, you seem to have some, some, some good teachings, but the jury's kind of out. None of us are really kind of sure yet who you are. Certainly none of the people around. We don't, nobody really knows exactly who you are. And then we get to the question from Jesus. Then he asked them, his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I don't, you know, this isn't in the story, but when I try, when I when I read the Bible and these sorts of things, I try and put myself there and imagine what what it must have been like that maybe Jesus, you know, had his, his close group around and he looks at them and asks them this. Who, who do you say that I am? Maybe they just start like, oh, are you going to speak? up? Oh, no, I'm not going to, you touch it. John, you're his best friend. You say, I'm not going to, you know, whatever sort of thing. And, and here's the thing. Jesus asked this very direct pointed question to his disciples that day. And it's a question that every single one of us, every single human being has to answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Not who does your mom say Jesus is. Not who does your pastor say Jesus is. Not who do your neighbors say Jesus is. Not even who does culture say Jesus is. But every single one of us have a decision to make when it comes to this person of Jesus. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Not to you in like the sense of who do you want to make him out to be. But who do we believe Jesus to be on a personal level? Who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus made a lot of pretty outrageous claims. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be the Savior, claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus claimed to be sent from God. Jesus claimed to be the only way for us to be with God. Jesus made some of the most outrageous claims out of any religious leader in human history. And because of his claims, you and I have to come to a decision about who he is. He didn't really leave it up to just kind of this nebulous, I don't know, whatever sort of thing. We all have to make a decision. Who is Jesus? And what I want to do today is going to be a little bit different than probably what we're used to. If you've been been coming to our church for a while, this message is going to feel a little bit different. But I want to walk us through a series of options for who Jesus could be, okay? And I didn't, I didn't come up with these options. They started off as a list of three in, in the 1800s. They were made famous um, by C.S. Lewis in the 1940s in something he called the trilemma. And then just recently, a fourth option has been added. And, and it, in regards to this question, but who do you say that I am? There's really only four options that we can choose when it comes to who's Jesus. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, he's a legend, or he's the Lord. And we're not going to go like super, you know, in detail sort of stuff. This is not going to be like a college-level course on exploring all these. Instead, what we're going to do is kind of take a 30,000-foot view and walk through each one of these. Who do you say to them? Could he be this? Could he be this? Could he be this? And just kind of browse through them really quickly. But I do want to say this. I know that this is the 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 kind of defending the faith or looking into this sort of stuff is called apologetics. If you are interested in this sort of stuff as we walk through this, there are several books and authors and podcasts and stuff that I can maybe point you to that I would love to talk about. Just We're not going to get into all the detail today. We're just going to browse these. So, who do you say that I am? Is Jesus a liar? I mean, that's certainly what a lot of people in his day thought. I thought Jesus was just making it all up. That, that I mean, he was, he was accused, especially by the religious leaders, of being a liar, of being a blasphemer. They, they accused him of being from the devil. Could Jesus have just been the things that we read about in the Bible? Could he have just been honestly lying? Well, Jesus addresses people's doubts in this sort of area. Now, um, what we're going to read, it's, it's winter time. Jesus is walking through the temple, and there, there starts to be a lot of people around. And they say this, the people surrounded him, Jesus, and asked, listen, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? Okay, you've been around for a while. We've heard a lot of teachings like, listen, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Okay, no more, no more games, no more parables, no more, you know, fish and wheat and all that. sort Just Jesus, tell us, if you're the Messiah, be clear with us. We're not going to read this all. You can go into John chapter 10 later. But he goes on to explain again some of his claims. He talks about eternity, all that sort of stuff. But he basically comes to the point where he says this. The Father and I are one. Yep. Uh, I am who I said I am. This is my claim. I, I am equal with the Father. I am God. I am deity. I am divine. That is it. The people there weren't very happy. Once again, they picked up stones to kill him. Maybe a little bit of an anger problem. Jesus said, Listen, at my Father's direction, I've done many good works. Which one of those good works are you going to try and kill me for? What, what are you going to stone me for? But they replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be from God, or basically, because you're a liar, Jesus. You say you're the Son of God, but there's, there's no way that you, you're not divine. You're not the Son of God, you're not to the say. There's no way that can be true. Jesus had been doing ministry for so long and he was just constantly reinforcing this message, "I am the Son of God, I am the Son of God. I am the way. believe in me, and they just they did not believe it. Jesus, you have to be a liar. He goes on and keeps talking and he gets just this incredible statement that I think could be so beneficial for us to, to think about it, to ponder. He says, listen, don't believe me. Okay, you can think I'm a liar. You can say whatever you want. You don't have to believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, then believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you want to call me a liar, even if you think that's it, believe in the evidence because then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father that my claims about myself are true basically jesus says listen I don't, I don't know what you think about me, but guess what? I walk the talk, I put my money where my mouth is. Jesus did so many miracles, these evidences of his father 's work in this world, walking on water, multiplying lunches, you know healing diseases and sickness, raising people from the dead on several occasions I mean These are not party tricks, okay? This is not sleight of hand. This is Jesus doing real miracles for real people that are recorded in the historical accounts of his life that we find in the New Testament. There's no way Jesus could have done these things and been a liar. But then, even go on past that, past just the miracles, the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled about a coming Messiah, about a Savior, are astronomically astounding. Several people of several people, lots of people have looked into this, especially in the Old Testament, kind of Jewish prophecies. Conservative estimates put the number of prophecies at around 300. Some estimates even say it could be as high as 600. Jesus fulfilled so many different prophecies and these, these prophecies about a Messiah, things like his heritage, that he would be from the tribe of Judah and the house of David. Prophecies that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem and, and would be born by, by a virgin birth. Or prophecies even about his death, you know, that he would, he would be mocked, he would be hung between two thieves, his side would be pierced. I mean, just stuff that you can't make up, you know. And all of these prophecies, all the prophetic books in the Old Testament, Pretty much all scholars agree that they were written 400 years before the birth of Jesus, even with the book of Daniel, written about 150 B.C. I mean, it's not like Jesus could have been changing the script as he was going along. These were well-established. Jewish people knew what these prophecies were. And it's not like I've heard some people say, and I've, I've read some stuff on the internet, you know, that great resource, that that maybe maybe it was just happenstance, you know? Maybe Jesus kind of like, oh, I woke up one day and I put on my winter coat and boom, look, I raised people from the dead. Like, he just found it somewhere. No, like, not only does that not logically make sense, but even mathematically, that doesn't make sense for Jesus to have filled all these. Mathematicians have done, you know, work on this. I don't know how they do it. They're way smarter than me. But, but one mathematician said that in the, the chances of Jesus fulfilling just nine prophecies, okay? Out of at least 300, the chances of him fulfilling just nine are one in 10 to the 76th power. We don't even know what that number is. Like, what in the world does that even mean? Okay, so let me me give you a visual reference for what that means. That means if you and I were to stand on the top of U.S. Bank Stadium and fill it to the brim with sand— and then be blindfolded, we would have to pick out the same grain of sand four times in a row, and after each time, the whole thing is tumbled around. Can you even imagine? And that's just nine. Yet Jesus completely fulfilled every single prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. In in, in trying to answer this question, who do you say that I am, you just can't arrive at liar intellectually. It just doesn't make sense. There's way too much evidence. And so that is not an option that we can arrive at. Jesus could not have been a liar based on the evidence that we see of his life. But maybe he was a lunatic, right? Right? Maybe Jesus was delusional. I know that's what some people have thought over the centuries. You know, Maybe maybe he had mental illness. Maybe he had schizophrenia. Maybe he, he wasn't lying. He really thought he was the son of God. But he was just mistaken. Could it be that Jesus was a lunatic? Now, <clears throat> we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one because it just doesn't follow good logical thought to think that. Um, Jesus, even our world today among atheists, is is pretty much universally regarded as the greatest moral teacher to ever live. John Stuart Mill was a a philosopher and a staunch opponent of Christianity. And even he says this about Jesus. He says, but about the life and sayings of Jesus, there's there's a stamp of personal originality combined with profundity of insight. In the very first rank of men of sublime genius of whom our species, mankind, can boast— when this preeminent genius is combined with the qualities of probably the greatest moral reformer and martyr to that mission, who ever existed upon earth, religion cannot be said to have made a bad choice in pitching on this man as the ideal representative and guide of humanity. Nor even now, today, you and I, nor would it be easy, even for an unbeliever, to find a better translation of the rule of virtue from the abstract into the concrete than to endeavor so to live that Christ would approve our life. Now I know that sounds like a lot of old English. Here's basically what he's saying: Jesus wasn't a lunatic. Okay, you don't you don't write these sorts of words, even from an opponent of Christianity, about someone who's crazy, about someone who suffers from mental illness. Jesus had such insight and wisdom into this thing that we call the, humans, the human experience. I mean, he was able to speak directly and clearly to so many different people. The, I was looking on the Mayo Clinic's website earlier this week about some symptoms of mental illness. And this is obviously not an exhaustive list, but these are kind of things to look for if, if you think somebody or maybe we think ourselves might have mental health sort of things. These are some of them. Feeling sad or down, confused thinking, excessive fears or worries, extreme guilt or sadness, withdrawal from people, detachment from reality, inability to cope with life, excessive anger and violence, or suicidal thinking. I mean, the list goes on and on. Listen, not one serious person would attribute those sorts of qualities to the Jesus we read about in the Bible, right? Jesus did not behave that way. Jesus didn't Act like a crazy person. But even more than that, Jesus didn't attract like a crazy person either. That Jesus had such incredible love for people. Jesus had such compassion and patience even for the most outcast people in society. I mean, basically everybody, except the religious leaders who felt threatened by Jesus. Basically, everybody loved Jesus and wanted to be around him. And that's just not what we typically associate with people who are lunatics. And so when it comes to this question, who do you say that I am? This one just doesn't make sense. Jesus could not have been a lunatic either third option is legend, and certainly in kind of our current culture and current world, this is the one that's most prevalent and most popular, that maybe Jesus was just kind of like a myth sort of thing, you know, like Greek mythology and these gods of the past. I mean, could that have been Jesus? Maybe Jesus never existed, or, or maybe what we read about him is just kind of made up and glorified with, with these ulterior motives. It was made out to be more than it could be. Is that the case with Jesus? Who is Jesus? Could he just simply be a legend? There's there's a couple things to explore in this one. Again, because it's the most popular in our world right now. To say that Jesus never existed just can't really even be taken as a serious thought in our world today. I know some people still want to go there, but like, listen, all, all serious scholars, know that Jesus existed. There's plenty of evidence for that. Even outside of Christian documents and Christian teachings, there are several, you know, ancient things that we can look at from writers like Tacitus and Josephus, non-believers who acknowledged within a century of Jesus that he existed, that he did miracles, that he had followers, all sorts of amazing things. Okay? So, so to say Jesus never existed, we should just we should put that one to bed. He did. But I think where this legend idea really comes in is yeah, but maybe what we read about him isn't true. Maybe it's maybe it's made up. Maybe it's kind of, you know, better off. Or we tried to, you know, the writers tried to make it seem better than it really was. But listen, when you and I look at the evidence for the letters and documents that make up the New Testament, that's not where the evidence leads. Most ancient writings and books and and, and things that we know about today— Most stuff from the ancient world survives on the basis of about 10 to 20 manuscripts that scientists and historians have found. About 10 to 20 is the average. The the book or document from the ancient world that has the most outside of the New Testament is Homer's The Iliad, which has about 650 manuscripts that people have found. But when you look at the New Testament, there are over 5,800 manuscripts in just Greek. And then there are almost another 19,000 in other languages. When it comes to the amount of evidence for the New Testament, there is not even a close second. Nothing even comes close. There are almost 25,000 manuscripts to the letters and documents that we read in the New Testament which to me speaks to their authority speaks to the truth of them that that, that in a, in a world without computers and the internet and xerox copiers that scribes and authors would take the painstaking effort to copy this down because of what they believed that the truth that these letters contained about the person of Jesus but the New Testament evidence is not just the amount of manuscripts it's also the fact that the letters and documents in the New Testament were written closer to the events they describe than anything else from the ancient world. That, that all, almost all New Testament scholars agree that the New Testament was finished being written by about 100 AD. It wasn't fully compiled into what we call the New Testament yet, but all the letters and documents were written within a few, centru- within a few decades after Jesus actually walked and lived and died and rose again, most other ancient texts from the ancient world has about a thousand-year gap between the event and its recording, with the shortest being about 500 years. So then you got to throw that into the equation that, like, this is not, you know, it's not like people wrote hundreds of years later and they were trying to remember fuzzy details. These were eyewitnesses, these were people, these were facts that could have been verified as these letters were circulating around. So there's the amount of manuscripts, there's the the closeness to the date of the events, and then on top of that, as if that's not enough, there's incredible accuracy within the New Testament. Even internal accuracy within itself. The New Testament has an over 99% accuracy between all the manuscripts. Any of the little, I know people have tried to say, oh, there's variations and maybe they've been changed over the years. Listen, any of the variations that have been discovered in the New Testament basically come down to minute human error. You know, a a slip of the quill or, you know, bad spelling or something or like an accidental omission. Nobody has found even one variation in those 25,000 manuscripts that has anything to do with theology, that has anything to do with with major Christian doctrine or teaching or ideology. Not one thing has been discovered that has anything to do with the personhood of who Jesus Christ is. Sir Frederick Kenyon is a, a manuscript expert on this sort of stuff, and he wrote in one of his books, he says, "...the interval between the dates of original composition..." And the earliest extant evidence becomes so small. Talk about the the dates. We already covered that. Becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible. Like, it doesn't even matter. It's so close. And the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down substantially as they were written has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may finally be be regarded as finally established. Or basically this, there's no reason, there's no solid evidence for us to believe that anything we read in the New Testament is legend, that it's just made-up myth, that it's just a good story somebody wanted to tell. Not only is there enough evidence, kind of this, this scientific sort of way, but but the things we read in the New Testament about the role of women in the church would not have been written if they were trying to sell a good story Jesus saying things like, take up your cross and you're going to be persecuted would not be included in there, okay? If, if we find ourselves wanting to dismiss the New Testament and dismiss Jesus' as legend, we can go there, okay? That's an option. But in order to be intellectually consistent, we also have to dismiss everything else from the ancient world. Everything else has to be legend because there is no other source so numerous, so close to the events, and so accurate as the New Testament. The evidence is there. In fact, the Apostle John, as he was writing his biography of Jesus, we call it the Gospel of John. It was the last gospel to be written, and towards the end, he writes this, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in the additions to the one recorded in this book. He says in another spot, there wouldn't even be enough books in the world to hold them all. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John says, I wrote these down. I reflected on the life of Jesus. I thought about my best friend and I wrote these things down accurately and truthfully so that you could know who Jesus is. And so when it comes to the question, who do you say I am? Who's Jesus? Unfortunately, we can't seriously answer legend either. And so here's the thing. Who do you say Jesus is? If He's not a liar. If he's not a lunatic. He's not a legend. It only leaves one other one. That he's Lord, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world, that he was sent from his Father to lay his life down as a sacrifice for the sins of all people who would put our trust in him. That's who Jesus is. And listen, because Jesus is Lord, that means his claims about himself are true, that he wasn't lying there. Since Jesus is Lord, that means what he taught about God is true. That he's the only God, he's the one true God, there's no other gods beside him. If Jesus is Lord, that means what he said about eternity is true. That you and I, that human beings, we are eternal beings, that we will spend an eternity somewhere. Either separated from God in the horrors of hell, or with him forever in the glory of heaven. And if Jesus is Lord, that means what he said about salvation is true as well. How to be made right with God. That he is the way and the truth and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. Now I know in our world today, that's pretty narrow-minded, right? But that's the reality. Well, what other option is there? Jesus isn't any of the other things, which means he must be Lord. And if we believe that he is, then we, have, then we can be opened up to this incredible relationship with God now and our eternity with him forever is secure when we put our trust in Jesus. And if we choose not to believe, then we will be separated from God for all eternity after our life on this earth is done. So who do you say Jesus is? What's your decision on Jesus? See, this this is why this decision, the answer to this question, is the most important decision you and I will ever make. Because it's the only decision that affects our eternity. So, who's Jesus to you? Who's Jesus to me? My hope and prayer is that every single one of us will answer like Peter did that day. Jesus said, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus, you are who you say that you are. You are the Son of God. You are the sent one. You are the only way for us to be made right with God. Jesus, you are the Messiah. And I hope every single one of us come to that same decision in our lives because it is the most important decision we will ever make. Now, we are going to, uh, we're going to try something different that at least as far as I know, we've never done in a service here. Um, we're not going to pray at the end, okay? And I know some of you are just like, what do you mean we're not going to pray? We have to pray. No, we don't. Okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do instead. I would like to ask, if you could just humor me, could everybody just take out your cell phone? I know you have them. Don't pretend like you don't. Everybody's got a cell phone, okay? So everybody take out your cell phone, and I want you to go to your text messaging app. I'll give you a minute to get there. Go to your text messaging app. Even you watching online, you can do this as well. And here's what I'd like to ask all of us to do, is to text the word access to this number, to 94,000. So rather than a phone number, this is the number, and then all I want you to do is text the word access. No other words, no spaces, no nothing like that. Text that. I know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna get roped into some, like they're gonna bother me all the time. No, we're not, okay? I promise you we're not going to spam you. In fact, when you text that, um, if you're not already in our, our system or database, you'll see there's an option to opt out. You can opt out any time you want by clicking stop. Don't do it yet, okay, because I want us to do something. But text the word access to 94000. And when you do that, you will get a message back with three options. And I just want to talk through those options before before you send anything yet, okay? There's, there's three options. Number one is I am ready, number two is all ready, and number three is not ready yet. And, and here's what I want you to do in just a moment. Whichever one of these best fits you, I want you to reply with that number. And if you're, if you're married, you got your spouse next to you, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, just do this separately. Everybody grab your phones, okay? Text the number one if today you are putting your trust in Jesus for the very first time. If if something clicked, if it made sense, maybe you've been exploring Christianity. Or you grew up in in the church, and and now it's now you're ready to make the decision for yourself. Text just the number one. Not I'm ready. Not anything else. Just the number one. Or maybe you were a Christian before, then life kind of happened, and you stopped believing. You're going to believe again. Basically, if it's your first time or you are remaking that decision, text just the number one. Uh. I think most of us are probably going to text the number two that, hey, I'm already a Christian. I've already put my trust in Jesus. Just go ahead and text the number two. And then finally, I just want to address that I, I know a 30-minute message might not be enough to, to convince her. Maybe You might still have some serious doubts and, and considerations. I would say if that's you, one of the best resources I can recommend is a book called Can We Trust the Gospels? By Peter J. Williams. It's a, it's a short book. It's less than 150 pages. And there's tons more evidence here that we didn't cover about geography and names and all sorts of stuff that like, couldn't have been made up. But we're not going to try and be pushy or like, make you decide something that you want. So if you just honestly say, I'm not ready to make a decision yet— text the number three, and uh, that's it, okay? You'll get one more automated message back, and then that's it. We're not going to bother you anymore. Like I said, you can opt out afterwards. But I just want to kind of explain our heart behind behind doing this and trying this this way is is really this. For those of you here in the room or those of you watching online, that you're going to text the number one, that you're putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, we just want to celebrate with you. I mean honestly that's it like we we exist as a church to help people help draw people into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We can read in the Bible that all of the angels are celebrating anytime one person trusts Jesus and like we just want to be a part of that and offer any help to grow spiritually that you might need. So again not not down your throat not pushy but like to come alongside you and help you kind of discover and build this relationship with God is really why we're doing this. So if, if everybody could just play along, that would be fantastic and text one of those numbers and, uh, and that's that, okay?